We begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay our respects to the Elders past and present. We extend our respect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Hi guys, welcome to Bumps and Besties, a podcast about navigating the journey to motherhood through fertility struggles, friendship and all the bumps along the way. I'm your host Lexi, along with my co-host and bestie. Hi, I'm Amy. Our podcast is here to explore the often tricky, usually emotional path to motherhood through the lens of two besties on two different paths. Laugh with us, cry with us, and know wherever you're at on your journey, you're never alone because your besties are here and we have your back. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bumps and Besties. Hey, how are we all going? Let's how's your week been? Yeah, look, it's been a good week. We have a lot of teeth. Oh, we but but we're at the point where they've come through. Okay. So yes, we're okay. we're at a good stage of teeth. So it's it's cute, and it's not ruining our lives anymore. Okay, cool. So we're back to sleeping. It's a little more normally, more or less. Yes, okay. but on that track, that would be sort of like the thing I've been dealing with this week. So Ted is almost a year old now. He just turned eleven months, and there is a transition where sort of babies turn into toddlers and they go from having two to three naps a day to one nap a day. And that ah. is where we're at. So we're trying to find that good balance between having enough time for him to sleep during the day that he then doesn't end up disturbing his nighttime sleep. And we've gone from having him sleep through from seven through till three o'clock, needing a feed, sleeping till seven to him going and waking up at 12.30 for a feed, but then not waking up again um, until he gets up. So it's just a matter of trying to get the the timing right. Yeah, and it's all like you have to change their diet as they move into that next stage, and there's just a lot going on. But, yeah, more or less, like I'm probably a little bit more sleep-deprived than I'd like to be, but we're making it work. Okay. Yeah. How are you? What are you up to? Yeah, it's been chaotic. Um, we're preparing for another transfer to happen in the next week or two. So lots of appointments and medications. Um, hubby's business has just been manic. So so exciting. So much going on on your plate. So <laughs> everyone, that there is a reason we were not here last week. We do apologize, but it was just literally scheduling of craziness. It just didn't happen. And that's going to happen from time to time. Welcome to the world of I'm going to say working mums in quotations because dads who work are just called dads. But anyway, here we are. It's chaos, but we're here this morning. (laughs) (laughs) We've made it work. All right. So, Amy, this is your week. Tell us what you are going to be walking us through. Yeah. So I'm going to chat a bit about when deciding your when to end kind of your IVF journey and when it's enough. Um, I think for me, I kind of want to touch on something I said the last episode where I said turning 30 was really sad. Now... Mm. Turning 30 is not sad because you're old and I hope no one took offense to that comment because I kind of... 30 is great. 30 is great. 30 has not been bad <laughs> to me at all for the three weeks that I've been 30. It's been wonderful. But as you do, standing in the shower, I was having some thoughts the other day and thought, I said that and people probably went, oh, I'm 30 and I'm not that old. You're not. No. Um, turning 30 was sad for me because I thought I'd have a baby by now. Yes, yes. That's Understandable. 30 sucks. Yeah. Um, for me, it's going into a whole new decade where I thought I'd have two or three babies by now and yeah. I would well and truly be past that point in my life. So I think it's the milestones. You know, everyone yeah. wants to do that Christmas baby announcement or that New Year's baby announcement or 
they want it everyone has an idea of you know the milestones in life and every time you tick past another milestone yeah without that baby you know that yeah. it's getting it's almost like similar to if you start trying for a baby the first year that ticks past because you always yeah. sort of have an idea of like when you and your partner started actively trying it's almost like a date that you subconsciously think about so when you tick over that one year mark all of a sudden it's like this huge reminder yeah. that like oh my god we've been at this for a whole year yeah. so i can totally understand that also being 30 i i had to recall on this but i certainly had a freak out too so i think that's pretty standard yeah and it wasn't that i wanted to have a baby i was just like what am i doing with my life so but i had to I get think it. about it like i was like why was 30 so sad and i think it was just going into that next because 30 has been great like yeah the three weeks have been we had a great getaway we had a great life time away wonderful. <laughs> like, life has been great but it's just that thing that's still missing and i didn't think i was going to go into this next decade without yeah. a baby but so in saying that, like, everyone has an idea of how long they think their fertility journey is going to take. So yeah. personally, we started this whole journey when I was 22, 23. I was so young and I thought I'd be done and dusted by 25. Yeah. Um, then when we realized we were going to have to do some form of fertility treatment, it was like, okay, well, you know, I'm 24. Surely this will over been done with by the time I'm 26. We'll give it a yeah. couple of years and that's plenty of time to have two babies. And then you get to kind of pass that and it's like, well, you have to reevaluate as to when your cutoff point is actually be. Some people use those milestones like 30 as their cutoff point. And I think subconsciously I thought maybe that was going to be mm. where I was going to draw the line. But now as time goes on obviously and it's not that easy and we're coming into seven eight years of trying this, yeah it's not as straightforward as just deciding i think the decision of when to stop changes yes so it, it's almost like your markers continually like the goalposts move yeah depending on where you're at in life and what you have and haven't been able to yeah get to if you like in yeah terms of goals and i think like if it's a financial reason that you've decided to stop or you've had no choice but to stop, then that's different. You, yeah. you obviously don't have a choice and that's heartbreaking for people who can't financially continue the journey. But I think when you're setting your own goalpost and it's not a financial constraint and it's not a work constraint and it's just a matter of you choosing when your time is done, the goalpost just keeps moving. Because so quick sidebar, in Australia, is IVF is not free. It's not something you no. can access through our general Medicare system. No, so it is rebated by Medicare in some sense, but there are still quite large out-of-pocket costs. Yeah. So most people get referred to a private specialist straight away, um, which it can cost anywhere from around eight to $12,000 for a cycle of IVF. That's an incredible amount of money. Yeah, depending on where you go and what you do. Now, Medicare rebated clinics do exist. Um, the out-of-pocket cost for a cycle there is usually between two and $3,000. So it's still like a substantial so, amount of money. Yeah. Like, and especially in this economy, cost of living, prices of houses petrol etc it's all going exponentially through the roof so to then add an extra couple of thousand dollars per month yeah. because let's face it like if you're doing multiple cycles you're doing this every couple of months yeah 
That's so a lot. If you're not getting many eggs like I don't and you're having to actually go through the entire cycle from stimulation, retrieval, because the biggest cost is the procedures. Yeah. So anaesthetists are expensive people. They are. They are. That was the most expensive part of our birth as well was the anaesthetist. Like, yeah. That's where all your money goes, guys. That's yeah. what it is. But, well, but they keep you alive. Worth their weight in gold. <laughs> while you're under anesthetic so yeah. you know we want to pay them well um but that's a chunk of your cost and it's a cost you can't get around you can have your medications rebated um even like so we did a medicare rebated cycle and even after having the frozen eggs doing the procedure awake and all those things and keeping the cost down as low as possible it's still at least six to eight hundred dollars out of pocket yeah, just right. for the transfer so and like with medi care you have to still pay for it and then the money comes back yeah. so you still need to have x amount of thousands of dollars in your bank account that you don't need for something else while you wait for your medibank yeah uh, medicare rebate yeah absolutely yeah. you still end up probably about a third to a half of the cost of what a normal ivf cycle would yeah, be in the right. private system um adding on top of that most people who go through ivf end up having like laparoscopies and hsgs and all those kind of things and diagnostic procedures along the way um but also when it comes to medicare rebated clinics you have to fit a certain criteria your bmi yeah, right. has to be in a certain place i did not you, know that yeah so i guess because it's the government's money and yeah, the public's right. money they're a bit stricter about you know who can qualify so if they deem that you're too far healthily overweight that it's not going to work they won't accept you mm -hmm. um which i guess it makes sense but again if you're going to the private system you can weigh whatever you want be whoever you want as long as you're paying they don't care as long as they get their money yeah. yeah so yeah so i think when it's a financial limitation deciding when you're done it's one thing but when it's just you deciding that you've had enough that goalpost just keeps changing. For yeah. me, I thought that I would initially have my family done and done by 25. And then I thought I'd have it done by 28. And then I was sure I'd have it done by 30. And mm. here we are still with a pregnancy that can't get past the first trimester. So we're, I guess for me, it's a matter of just keeping going until my body can't take it anymore. Yeah. Or... Cause it's a pretty big toll. Like, yeah. I've watched your energy levels, like the month that you're off, change substantially to the yeah. month you're on. And we go to the gym together. So, like, I watch Amy, <laughs> the, the weeks where she is powering through, smashing every single workout. And then when she's on medication, it's like, I, I just feel for you because I'm yeah. like, girl, I get no it. <laughs> it is so hard because it's such a huge toll on your body. All yeah. those hormones running through. It's just, yeah, it's a massive physical toll on the body. And a lot of the preparation for a transfer in a cycle is hormones that trick your body into thinking it's pregnant or acting yeah. like it's pregnant so that it creates that best environment for the embryo. Yeah. Um, so that's the point I'm at currently, where we're taking the estrogen, taking the progesterone and taking all the things that make my body feel like it's pregnant in preparation. Yeah. So I'm exhausted and I'm nauseous. <laughs> yeah. So you're having all the symptoms of a first trimester, those early like six to eight weeks where you feel like a big bag of rubbish yep. and you just have to slog on through because that's not even the start of your pregnancy. No, that's just creating the environment for the yep. pregnancy. Um, so, you know, it, it's rough. So for me, I think it's a matter of how long my body can keep doing this. Mm -hmm. um, not only my energy levels, but my weight. And I don't focus on my weight as in, oh my God, I want to look a certain way, but I'm uncomfortable beyond a certain weight. Yeah. I can feel it in my joints. I can feel like I just don't feel 
healthy. Like I don't feel good beyond a certain weight. But a lot of the hormones and supplements that you take cause that weight gain or cause it to be harder to lose it. Yeah. So, and we all know that as you get older, it becomes harder to shift that weight anyway. Yeah. I Um, mean, a lot of people who are not going through what you have been through, that's sort of like 25 to 30. It's almost like you go through another kind of like adolescence. Yeah. And your body changes and all of a sudden things you could eat earlier are now making you gain weight or the amount of resistance you need to do at the gym to maintain a particular uh, level of fitness completely changes yeah. and it's just as your body grows that's what happens yeah so, so you add on all the extra exactly. hormones you add all the extras onto that and it's all it's near impossible mm. um so i think for me the weight that i carry have especially have carried the last say four to five years is a big thing mm-hmm. um prior to that i was very slim i was yeah. you know size 8 to 10, I didn't really have to watch what I, I was very No, you lucky used to that... eat absolute junk and never go to the gym, and I'm like, what is this? Yeah. What is this magic of yours? I that was... was just your metabolism. Yeah, That's I was very your... blessed with a great metabolism and just managed to keep fit naturally. Yeah. And that is so much more of a struggle these yeah. days. Um, Not just my weight and my energy, but my, I guess, my diet fluctuates. It's probably better now than it has been. But it's, it almost feels like it's not as much fun because yeah. you're watching what you eat so closely yeah. and monitoring. So I think not just my physical health, but my mental health. Yeah. When my whole life is consumed by this fertility journey and anyone who's close to me and speaks to me knows that you ask me how my life is going and it's going to be one of two things. It's going to be IVF or cats. Yeah. That's all I have at the moment. <laughs> That's where I am. But so everything you think about, everything you do, every decision you make is based around... Will I be pregnant? Will I not be pregnant? Am I going to have a procedure? How far out from this am I going to be? You know, I tried to book, well, I have booked a short getaway for my husband's birthday later in the year, but, you know, I had to take into account if we're going to have a transfer around this date, how far pregnant would that put me and Mm -hmm. would I be able to travel? And you make all these plans and then you get, like, in. so I've had it happen before where I've made plans based around, being a certain point in a pregnancy and then it's gotten to that point in time and I'm not pregnant because I've miscarried. So it's another reminder of something you planned your life around that doesn't actually evolve into an end product. Mm, mm. So it's all consuming. And for me at the moment, that's, I guess, fine because I go to the gym and I run my husband's business and it's not really affecting me too much at the minute. But I feel like it will get to a point where you can't just think, eat, sleep, talk, IVF yeah. all day, every day with yeah. no results. Um, so I guess I haven't, I've, I've lifted for myself personally the set end goalpost off it mm-hmm. because every milestone that I've set, we've passed without yeah. having reached it with a baby. Um, so I think, and every time you do like, so those of you who've tried to conceive and had these issues in the past would know that March, April kind of signifies your last chance to get pregnant to have a baby in that year. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So the transfer I have coming up in the last couple, in the next couple of weeks is our last chance to have a December baby. Okay. So yep. you kind of get to that point where it's like, all right, well, if I don't fall pregnant in this next four weeks, I'm then moving to another year where I'm going to have to go through Christmas and New Year's mm-hmm. and a whole nother set of milestones without a baby. So. Yep you're very aware of these things that you probably didn't think of 
yeah, at any point course. beforehand. Yeah, I don't think there's any other time in your life where you're constantly thinking, well, if this happens this month, then nine months in the future, like it really is like pregnancy and trying to conceive is the only time you're so focused on that. Yeah. Really. So I I think I would probably draw a line at, say, 35, I yeah. think. I say that cautiously because I was firm on every other milestone I had set and then I just went, oh, well, we're going to keep going. Yeah. I feel like 35 is kind of when you move into a much higher risk category. Well, it is yes, when you move into is. a much yeah. higher risk category yeah. medically. Even if you are healthy, fit, normal person that has never had struggles with fertility, as soon as you hit 35, you get labelled with geriatric pregnancy. <laughs> and who wants to be called geriatric No, at 35? Like, come on. 30 is the new 20. You look so young and vibrant. Don't, right? don't label us geriatrics, but that is what, yeah, that's but just it, the label. But it's the industry standard that 35, yeah. you are deemed a much higher risk pregnancy from beyond that point. Yeah. Um, and your chances of getting pregnant drastically drop from there. So if you're already struggling, then it's probably not going to happen beyond that point. Yeah. Um, so I think I've kind of set in my mind that 35 is probably the cutoff if mm -hmm. my body or my mental health doesn't hinder me before then yeah um but you know at the end of the day this is in terms of actually doing ivf this is our second year coming into two and a half three years straight of yeah, right. doing these cycles if i get to 35 i'll be coming into about seven years straight of ivf oh my god and yeah, i think wow. i'll just be well and truly done Fingers crossed it doesn't get to that point. Yeah, yeah, of um, course. The transfer we're about to do is our last frozen embryo. Mm -hmm. So if this one doesn't take, I will have to start all over again. Yeah. Um, which is, I'm a lot better. I did pass out in an iron infusion earlier this week. <laughs> it's a, It sounded very dramatic, actually, guys. Like, I think that... Uh... <laughs> Amy really has the worst luck when it comes to people trying to stick her with needles. I haven't passed out from a needle in years. And like we talked about this in my needle phobia ep a few weeks back that I've gotten so much better and I thought I was past it and I thought I was through it. And I don't think it was the needle. I think it was the fact that there was some blood spurting when I mean, they eventually managed to cannulate me. And again, <laughs> it was an ordeal. It wasn't a walk yeah. in, let's cannulate you. This was a let's stab you multiple times until we find a vein and it, it's never simple and i guess if you're low iron or anemic anyway those veins are going to be harder to find than normal yeah i have crappy veins at the best of times i was just a doctor's absolute worst nightmare earlier this week um but then when you know they put the needle in and they don't want to take it back out so they're digging around to find the vein Ugh. and there's blood coming that was it i was out that was me done i was unconscious I, I don't know that anyone is even if you don't have a needle phobia when you see your own blood spurting out all over the place same thing happened to me when we got put in for the c-section and my ob that delivered ted was not my normal ob and i think he was just a bit nervous or something but i got cannulated three times and oh. he put blood all over me and i was just like I'm a very hydrated pregnant lady. Like, I, <laughs> this, yeah, and literally, like, the anaesthetist walked into the room, saw all the holes all over in my arms, and he was like, oh, honey, I'm just, I'm going to fix this for you. <laughs> and he just, like, found a vein straight away, cleaned up all the blood that was all over my arms. He's like, sorry about that. So, yeah, it, yeah. it just makes you, it gives you the queasies. It doesn't matter how you are with needles. The only other time I've had that happen was when I was going in for laparoscopy. So I yeah. was getting ready to go under. So... I wasn't feeling great about the blood spurting, but they were about to knock me out anyway. So yeah. it was all good. Already <laughs> feeling a bit strange about the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, so 
I think if we get to a point where it's been seven years straight of IVF, touch wood, we don't get to that point. But if we did, I think, I think I would probably call it quits then. Yeah. But in saying that, I don't know. And I yeah. don't feel like I can put a time frame on that anymore until our bank account says no or yeah. one of our bodies say no yeah. because I thought I'd be done eight years ago. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, like, obviously having a baby at 35 means that you have a 10-year-old at 45, means that you have a 20-year-old when you're 55. Like, yeah. all that stuff as well, you take into account. Like, my husband's already 40, so we want to have our kids pretty close together so that he's not 60 with a 10-year-old. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, because that's something to think about as well, is, like, future planning. Kids need a lot of energy, especially at that age, so you need to make sure you're at a point where you're like, oh, yeah, I can handle this, I can keep up. Well, that's it too. Gary's in his late 30s. He's clearing on 40. So even if I manage to do it for the next few years, he's getting to that point mm. where he probably doesn't have the energy for it anymore. Um, and, but, you know, I guess it depends how I feel if we get to that point. If I get to 35 and I feel like I do today and I'm relatively healthy and we've still got the time and the finances to do so, then maybe we would keep going. Yeah. But I feel like that's probably where I would draw a line if I had to pick a line in the sand because mainly of those health risks, because yeah. of that entering into such a high-risk pregnancy when I already have those anyway yeah. and don't need anything extra added. No, absolutely. Kind of thing. But every person sets their goal post differently. Yeah. Um, you know, some people want their kids very close together. I know of people who've had a baby and then have had secondary infertility and have not been able to conceive their second child and mm. put a time limit on the age gap between those kids because of course, yeah. they don't want to have a 10-year-old with a newborn or a 15-year-old with sure. a newborn yeah. or whatever it may be. Um, but I think a lot of people use those milestones like 25, 30, 35 as those goalposts. And I think for me that's why 30 was such a negative thing in my mind yeah. because it was that final goalpost that was an age-related one um and yeah it kind of just sucks to go into another yeah. decade and and understandable if you'd set that goalpost when you were 22 30 probably felt so far away so far away yeah which is just you know it is unfortunately where we're at yeah now i have to ask like is there any doctor or medical person checking in with you along the way to see like hey, we would suggest maybe taking a break because your body needs time. We would suggest only doing this for X amount more time. Like, are they ever suggesting that you should stop? So they look at your overall health at the end of every cycle. So mm -hmm. whether a transfer hasn't taken at all or whether the pregnancy ended in a miscarriage, you're being monitored almost constantly. So okay. I'm having blood tests all the time. Um, they weigh you before every procedure all those general health monitorings they're across so they might say especially if you've had a pregnancy that's resulted in miscarriage whether it's an early one or a later one they might say you need to sit a cycle or two out and let okay. your body re-regulate um i'm very lucky in that my healthcare professionals all kind of let me take the reins yeah. so while they'll give me guidance and say hey we think you should sit this one out so for the pregnancy that I got fairly close to the end of the first trimester because it was such, uh, it wasn't a chemical pregnancy or a blighted, it was a proper miscarriage. They mm. said to me, we think you need to sit out a couple of months and let your body recover from that. Yeah. Um, you know, you lose a lot of blood and energy and there's so much that goes into creating and trying to hold on to these pregnancies. Mm. And then 
it's like when you when you're so busy and you stop and you hit a wall and you feel like crap that's the point I got to whereas I felt like absolute crap at the end of that and I just needed a couple of months to reset yeah um same thing after the last miscarriage I guess too because it was coming up to the end of the year and everyone wants to have a glass of wine at Christmas and eat the cold meats and all that kind of thing and I'm I'm not a woo-woo kind of person but the way I see it is my body will get my period back when it's ready to start again. Yeah. I don't use medication to bring on a period or anything like that because in my eyes, if I've had a miscarriage and my period hasn't returned, my body's not ready. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. So I think I take natural breaks where needed. Yeah. But definitely if they thought there was... Uh, so like, for example, when we suspected I might have an ectopic pregnancy, mm. if there's damage like that and things that can affect you ongoing, they, they will firmly, but nicely tell you, they think, you know, you might be at the end of the road or I think they deem it after three recurring miscarriages now that it's, I can't remember the term for it. It's completely slipped my mind. Um, something to look into where you should be investigating Mm -hmm. the quality of the egg and the quality of the embryo and doing all the genetic testing. So if, for example, this one takes and we were to miscarry it, if we started the process over again, we would be very firmly guided into genetic testing for any embryo we get because it's it's completely normal to have a miscarriage in 25% of pregnancies. It's not normal to miscarry three, four, five, six pregnancies back to back. Um, so unless there's something wrong with my eggs or with my husband's sperm or with the way or they some joined. compatibility thing. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know. Yeah. So if this one isn't to work and we start again, we would definitely go down that genetic testing route to see what the problem is. Yeah. Um, I don't think it'd be worth putting ourselves through another two years of this mm-hmm. without knowing without knowing yeah because i mean if it is a matter of some kind of genetic testing then i suppose if something pops up in that you can go okay well this isn't going to work because of you know the egg isn't right or there's a problem with the sperm quality or there's a compatibility issue then you guys can look at alternatives there so a sperm donation or an egg donation something along those lines so that you know that the next time you go through it there is a higher chance that things might result differently because you're not trying the same thing over and over again exactly and so in the first pregnancy we were almost at a point where we could have tested to determine if there was like a chromosomal abnormality like a trisomy or something you got to 10 weeks so So, we were right at that point of the nip testing i was gonna say like generally like if you're going through the normal cycle of just like your gp appointments around 10 weeks they they will suggest it's not something you have to do but a nip test so it's a blood test that you can find out if there are any trisomies that pop up because there's enough dna in the fetus and in your bloodstream that they can work out if there's any uh abnormalities in that Yeah, so we, we were almost the point of doing it, like we literally would have done that the week after we miscarried the first yeah, right. time and we would have had a better idea. Um, obviously, the last miscarriage, we weren't far enough along to determine any of that, but it can mostly be determined with genetic testing of the embryo. So yeah. I guess to save ourselves going through these and having these recurring miscarriages between six and ten weeks, we will just genetic test from the get-go. Didn't feel worth it, I think, this time because mm-hmm. we only had the three embryos yeah. to use and it's quite another expensive process. It's yeah. another cost again. Um, but 
if we were to do it again, we definitely would. Yeah. And can they find out the sex in that early stage as well? They can, but in Australia, they don't let. They don't. They don't tell you. They don't let you. Yeah. Because yeah. I think there was a, a big controversy about John Legend and Chrissy Teigen tested their embryos yeah. and decided what sex they wanted. Yeah. But in Australia, you can't do no. it like so that. No, so in the US, it's big. In the US, you can genetic test, you can find out the gender, and you can choose And you what can pick which one you, you want. want to oh, my God, that's crazy. Insane. That's Gadigal-level crazy stuff. Like, it's... I, I couldn't I imagine being like, real. oh, I want a boy and then I want to go, like, it, that, that, that's absolutely crazy. It's just but... that Mother Nature work itself up. <laughs> well, I know, just... I say that, but when I found out I was having a boy, I cried. But, but I guess too, like, at the end of the day, happy. if you're genetic testing and you're going to fertility treatment, just be grateful for whatever you're getting. Yeah, just be like, like... if it's got all its fingers and toes and it's got a head forming, happy day. Yeah. Does it matter what's between it? Does, like... it, does it matter? Like, I get the curiosity, but I think knowing from embryo stage that just leaves it open to all sorts yeah, of debatable things. topics mm. that i don't really want to go into yeah, like, a bit, bit uncomfortable yeah. that's a bit strange but no but it's yeah, not no, we don't do that here, here. no okay. we're yep. not allowed to do that here yeah. and i think that's a fairly good ruling i not think that's a good idea you know unless there's a chromosomal abnormality that only affects male or female embryos i right. get that yeah but and I, that could be something like that's a genetic history say like if you're family in you have history in your family of like all the women carry a particular breast cancer um or all the men have a particular strain of cp that only affects the males yeah then i can understand that but in generally speaking that's that's the very rare abnormality yeah yeah so yeah so i guess to wrap that up for me, there isn't an end goal post anymore. Mm-hmm. There isn't a... The end goal post is baby. Yeah. 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 There's... You have a baby when you have there, a baby. There, there were goal posts, but you pass them and you don't go through them and you just keep going. And I said, I feel for anyone who's had to financially or physically set that end for themselves because... Well, it's like I having a choice taken away from Yeah, you. like I'm, I'm very lucky that I still have that choice to move that goal post and be like, no, you know what, I'm not actually done here. Mm-hmm. Um, and what about Hubs? Has he said like, oh, you know, if we get to, if I get to this age, or if we get ten years down the track, I don't want to keep going. Look, I, I think by the time I get to thirty-five, he will be in his mid-forties, and yeah. he will be well and shortly done by yeah. that point. Um, to be honest, I, I, I guess he would probably only have two to three years left where he feels like he's young enough to not be the parent mistaken for the grandparent at yeah. school and that kind but, of yeah. thing yeah um but because we do have that bit of an age gap it kind of leans more men it doesn't matter so much yeah. how old they are yeah. so while he and may he not won't be, be the stay-at-home dad no he he's not going to be the primary parent. caregiver yeah. so you know as long as i've got the energy to keep up with the baby 90 percent of the time yeah. then yeah it'll be okay um so yeah so i think it very much comes down to if anything physically or mentally stops me in the next five years otherwise we are full steam ahead baby until i'm 35. awesome that sounds like a good goalpost but fingers crossed because it's I don't want to go you're through everything again. Do that. Don't worry about it. No, it's not going to Like if this long. last embryo could just stick so yeah. I don't have to go through it all again, yeah. that would be great. And in terms of that, like have you then, because obviously you were saying originally when you were 22 you wanted like multiple kids, mm-hmm. has the fact that your goalpost has changed, has that sort of like capped you out on how many kids you want to have? Yeah, I think, well, ideally I would still love to have two, but in a real world that's not going to happen. 
um, unless some miracle occurs and this embryo splits in two and we end up with twins. Um, or if we do have to start again and we have multiple embryos, they're now at a point at my clinic where they would be more open to the conversation about transferring more than one. Sure. Yeah. Um, so if I did have to start again, we would potentially look at transferring two at a time so that A, hopefully one would stick and take, mm -hmm. or we would might end up with twins. Yeah. Um, but also because I have those high-risk pregnancies where I'm monitored so closely and my body struggles to keep up as it is, twins is probably not a great idea, yeah. although it's probably the only thing that would work time-wise. Yeah. So being realistic, if we end up with a baby, we will probably only end up with one. Yeah. Um, which... Would you pursue a avenue of say like vasectomy to make sure you don't accidentally have a whoops baby no, or would you leave yourself so. open to in case like you know because sometimes that happens right like you yeah. struggle to have a baby you have IVF and then like six months after you have your IVF baby <laughs> whoops baby well that's it they say it's like memory foam once your body knows what to do it's more likely to do that again it's yeah right the memory of People who go through a second pregnancy will tell you they show earlier and they feel everything because your body has that memory of what happened first time around. So they do say that, you know, once you've managed to have one child, you have a higher chance of falling pregnant naturally following mm -hmm. that. So I would not go back on contraception. Yeah. I would not try and prevent a pregnancy unless it got to a point that my husband said, I can't do this anymore. Okay. Yeah. Um, or I felt like I couldn't do it any further. But... I think I would just leave it open to any happy miracle that would occur naturally. Naturally, yeah. but I, but you wouldn't then go and do like more IVF after the first baby. I don't think so, um, unless we happen to you know timeline wise. If this next transfer fails and I start again, and it also depends, I guess, on the number of embryos I end up with because mm -hmm. I don't usually end up with heaps. I don't want to go and whack them all in back to back in doubles mm -hmm. and use them all up in a very short time span um as crass as all that sounds because you're not really giving yourself much better chances in doing so yeah so i think what would likely happen is if we did another egg collection and we ended up with let's say five embryos and we transferred one and it took straight away and i still had say four sitting there then i'd be like oh well okay i've still got these here let's give it another go yeah um but if we started again, if if we have a pregnancy and a baby from this embryo we have left, that you will won't probably do another be egg collection. No, yeah. probably not. Um, I don't feel like it's worth it to start the whole cycle again. Yeah, if I've already got one. Um, but you know, you, you never know. I I don't think so. I think we're pretty set on the fact that we will most likely end up with one child if yeah. we end up with one at all so yeah. and i look to... one kid and three cats are still long enough to feed <laughs> it's so. a lot of work um, i used to think like oh you know one child they'd be so spoiled or so lonely and the more i think about it it's like no because that child will be so appreciated whereas yeah. it's not like you have one out of choice because you can't be bothered with a second you've mm. worked so hard to have that one it's like well Maybe they'll be a little bit spoiled. Maybe they will. They'll probably get everything we've got because... But that's okay. It's like, you know, the world is the way the world is. So, uh, you know, there's no chance of them turning out rotten because um, the world will set them straight. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter how kid is, they'll hit the real world and be like, whoa, okay. But I think the loneliness concern has gone out the window. Like, there are so many options, you know, yourself. You've got yeah. Ted. There's mum's groups. There's play groups. There's... 
other friends and family with small children, there will always be opportunities for kids to interact with Absolutely. other kids. Crash, um, the gym we go to has yeah. crash. Ted has seen other children every day this week. Yeah. And we've just got the one baby. So, yeah. you know, like it's definitely possible to have them socialized appropriately and yeah. just have one kid. And look, even if that means putting them in daycare a couple of days a week just for their socialization, I'm open to it. Yeah. Um, I think my only concern with one is the fact that they may be too spoiled. But we'll pick that road. Look, your kids are going to be spoiled anyway because, you <laughs> yeah. know, you just, you're, you're a kid spoiler. Yeah. My yeah. child has had so many amazing things from you and, you know, you don't even own him. No. Maybe that's why you spoil <laughs> Just you wait till his birthday. Oh dear, it's coming, it's coming. The it's one year is yeah. coming. Yeah, I know. Crazy town. Absolutely insane. But yeah, I think that's all I can really say on that because everyone's journey is completely different. Um, if you have some input or thoughts or feelings on that, feel free to get in touch with us and let us know what your experience was. And Yeah, we love hearing from you guys. So. You know, if you've got a different perspective of when to call it quits or different milestones you've achieved or not achieved, um, let us know because I can only really tell you what I think and feel and maybe you guys want to hear from someone else. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in saying that, guys, if you'd like to become part of our little community, because I know there's people now all over the world having a look (laughs) at the stats earlier. So hello to our Swedish listeners and our UK listeners and uh, our Brussels listeners. You guys are all over the globe. Thanks thanks for tuning in. But yeah, follow us on Facebook and uh, we now have Apple as well as Spotify that Mm -hmm. you can follow, rate and review. We have our TikTok as well as our Instagram. So come join the party. Have a chat with us. We love hearing from you and experiencing how you are having motherhood happen in your life. It's all interesting to us always good to hear from other people's perspectives as well yeah exactly that's why we share that's it all right thanks so much guys thanks bye, bye.